Now it's interesting. Uh, I'm starting a little uh, topical thing. Won't be hopefully too long. I'm trying to do a few different things this year as we have the new year. I mentioned I want to go, Lord willing, we'll see, through the book of Jude, uh, which is just one chapter. I want to go through the book of James this year as well. Uh, I want to uh, cover a couple different topics. Uh, different topics will come up through the year as I continue to pray because God doesn't burn on my heart everything at once. Uh, but uh, some of the topics that have been burning on my heart from time to time uh, in the last few years, a couple years, but I knew they would be, you know, come a whole series, is the armor of God, uh, which I've taught on before, verse by verse, through Ephesians 5, or I should say Ephesians uh, chapter 6, and also the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But I don't feel led at this time. I'm going to be teaching on the armor of God when we go to do our men's retreat with a lot of our live streamers and uh, blessed, our Good Fight and Blessed Hope Associates in uh, New York, Massachusetts area uh, in, in a month or so, a couple months. So I look forward to that. Uh, we'll be doing a whole series on that. But I'm not going to do the armor of God. I wanted to do uh, something that I felt uh, I've been, it's burned on my heart for some time. I teach on it from time to time. But I haven't done a whole series on it in I don't know how long, but on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, and I love, I love talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that will allow the Lord to, as we begin this new year, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to know who the Holy Spirit is, and to grow in uh, the characteristics of Christ and become more Christ-like, and become more like the Lord. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. How many of you need more love? Want more love in your life? Anybody like, no, I got totally enough. <laughs> Greg, was that you? Or are you just late? You were just late on the first one. I got you. I'm like, Greg's not like that, man. Love, peace. How many want more peace? Joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, Faithfulness, right? Uh, meekness, you know, uh, self-control. There's nine different fruit mentioned. And wow, if we could become more of all of that, amen, amen. how our lives would look, amen. Wouldn't the world be amazing if everybody you met everywhere was full of love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control? It's not the world we live in, is it? In fact, the world's characterized by the verses that come right before that in Galatians 5, which are the works of the flesh. Right. You know, factions and hatred and, and, and drunkenness and, you know, pharmacaea, drugs and, you know, sexual perversion and all those things that are mentioned in the verses right before that, which are contrasted, the works of the flesh, with the fruit. It's interesting. It's the works, plural of the flesh. But when it says fruits, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. When we say fruits of the Spirit, we're... You know, we're not in trouble, but it's not really, it's singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And I personally believe there's one main fruit. It's the first one on the list, love. And all those other things are a consequence of us walking in love, the joy, the peace, and so forth. I can't wait to just dive into this, you know, for the next couple months or so. Because, well, there's the joy of the Lord, Jimbo. Praise the Lord. Got some exclamation points going on in the fellowship. That's beautiful. Uh, I, I can't wait to dive in because uh, you guys are going to go for a good ride and God's going to challenge you and encourage you in the next couple months to become more Christ-like, to be radically transformed. How many of you want to be radically transformed? That's what the, the Bible says the Word of God works effectually in the hearts of those who believe. That's why we preach the Word of God. That's why we don't sit up here and talk about politics all day long, okay? Because we know, we know what's going on with the world. We know where it's going. We need to snatch people out of the fire, Amen. Okay, we need to preach truth. We need to stand up to the state and say this is what the Word of God says. But we make no qualms about what the Word of God says, where the world's going. We need to make sure while we're in the world, we shine the light of Christ. And one of the great ways to shine the light of Christ is to become Christ-like. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies us by making us more like Jesus. And when you read the nine characteristics in chapter 5, and if you will, please turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. When you read about these five characteristics... Uh, I'm sorry, these nine characteristics in chapter 5, 22-23, these are attributes that God has had eternally. He's the eternal God, you know, manifested uh, more at different times. These are all part of his nature. And these are what we call the communicable attributes of God. Do you remember, I've talked about this before, there's a difference, there's a distinction between the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. The incommunicable attributes of God are things that belong to God. They're his attributes that he does not communicate to us. They're what define him largely as God. 
In fact, the Bible says he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Are any of us omnipresent? No. He's from everlasting. Is any of us here from everlasting? No. You see, he's omniscient. Knows everything at all times, right? He knows the future with perfect perception. Knows the end from the beginning, it says in Isaiah. That's none of us, amen? So when you have, you know, these new agers saying, I'm God, I'm God. It's like, the angels are up there like, what? You know, what are you saying? No, we're not God, amen? There is one God. You are my witness to say the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, Isaiah 43.10. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me, Amen. It's only one true God. But then there are his communicable attributes. Those are the attributes of God. And since he's made us in his image, he wants us to share those attributes with us as his human image bearers. Amen? He wants us to have his love. Right? His peace, his joy. He wants us to be long-suffering and gentle with people. He wants us to have his goodness. Right? He wants us to have meekness or humility, gentleness, you know, self-control. He wants us to have all those things. And how many of you can look at that list in 522 and 23 and say, yeah, that's me. Hopefully you can say, that's more me now than it was before I was saved. Yes. I'm so looking forward to this because it's going to be such a devotional series that with so much application that your lives will hopefully look so different by the time we get done with this. Amen. Be, you know, because God's going to challenge us. And you know, this fellowship, if you've been here any time long, we like to dive in, you know. Let's say, Lord, what do you expect of us? What should we look like? What do you call us to? Who should we be? Now, it's, when we look at verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the what? Spirit. The spirit. The pneuma. The pneuma. That's the Greek word to use, pneuma, for spirit throughout the New Testament. P-N-E-U-M-A. It's how we translate the word from the Greek into English, pneuma. And... Uh, J. Vernon McGee. Some of you have heard J. Vernon McGee diving down the road, right? J. Vernon McGee gave an uh, address. He actually, a commencement address in his 80s, not long before he died, at a famous seminary. And in the seminary, he spoke of different things, but he stated that if there was one thing that he would change in his ministry, looking back over the years, is that he'd give more attention to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life and would more frequently lead people to understand uh, their need to depend on the Holy Spirit in their daily life to have victory. Amen? I thought, praise God, that's so important uh, that he recognized that. And as Christians, uh, from the very get-go when the fellowship started, by the grace of God, I've always said, You've heard it. In fact, if you quote me from certain things you've heard me say through the years that may stick out of your mind, this might be one. I quote not myself, but Jesus. But I quote Jesus with Paul. And when you put the two passages together, it's incredible, powerful. In John 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you could do what? You could do nothing. But Paul said in Philippians 4.13, that through Christ we could do what? All things. things. Amen. 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 And it's so important that we get that, that we understand that, that we need to rely on on the power of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Uh, over and over again, uh, you know, we, we need to ask the question, well, how does Christ work in our lives? And he said, the Father, he said, the Father and I will make our homes in your heart. I will not leave you orphans, right? But he also went on to talk about how the Holy Spirit would come to live in believers. He said to his own apostles, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he said, but he shall be in you. Amen. And it's amazing. God bless you, Josiah. And then when he, uh, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's fascinating to me when you think of these, these scriptures. But I through my ministry, I've had to walk a tight line, a tight rope, so to speak. Because there are two extremes in the body of Christ today. There's what we call cessationism. And there's sensationalism with regard to the Holy Spirit. Cessation, cessationism uh, cessationists hold that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are over with. That, that the Holy Spirit won't speak to the believer anymore outside of, just, outside of the Word of God. Uh, and, the Holy, and that there, there's no more prophecy at all, you know. The cessationist says, uh, the, not the, not, now the cessationist says those things, the sensationalist 
one who's sensational, not cessationist meaning ceased, the gifts have ceased, says something quite different. Yet the cessationist is wrong. I had a uh, seminary student from a very popular university over the hill <coughs> uh, come and interview me. <coughs> he said because he was doing some paper or thesis on the gifts of the Spirit and whether they've ceased or not. And he wanted to interview somebody. He had to interview somebody who believed that the gifts of the Spirit had not ceased, that God's still active today by His Holy Spirit and using various gifts uh, that that particular seminary teaches are gone, like prophecy, tongues, things like that. And I sat down with him, and I had a big Jim Sanford with me, and, and I, had, I brought some muscle. No, just kidding. You know. I, I, but we sat down with him and another brother at, I think it was Denny's when that was open back in the day. And we had a great chat. And I said, hey, I just want to let you know, because I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today and the power of the Holy Spirit, does not mean I believe and go with and follow that stuff that you see on Trinity Broadcasting Network and all the weird stuff that goes on in the name of the charismania. And I said, we need to make a distinction between charisma, which is the Greek word for gift, which comes from charis, which means grace, and charismania, you know, that we're not in the charismania. Uh, and I went on to let him know there's all kinds of scriptures that make it clear that the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. And I said, let's look at prophecy. I go, in Revelation chapter 11, you have two prophets during the tribulation period who prophesy for 1,260 days. And I said, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, when they bring you during the tribulation period, which hasn't happened yet, that's future, so it can't be done yet. He says, when they bring you before you know, magistrates, you know, civil leaders, kings, and so forth, he said, don't premeditate what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will what? will give you utterance and speak through you. I just went through a ton of scriptures. And then he was like, wow. He goes, well, if the gifts of the Spirit are gone, I guess they're coming back in the future then. I go, yeah, but there's no scripture that says they're gone. You know? In fact, I shared with him 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Paul says, when I child, was a child, I thought as a child, I, I lived like a child, but, when I, that would, you know, but then I became a man. I put away childish things. He says, so too, tongues and prophecy, these things will be done or put away. He says, when that which is perfect has come. Well, that which is perfect has not come yet. Well, some will say, oh yeah, that's when the Bible was finished. No, it's not what it's talking about. How do you know that? Because Paul defines perfection. He says, when that which is perfect has come, we will know as we're known. We're known pretty well, aren't we? Do we, anybody here say we know as we're known? No, that hasn't happened yet. That only happens when Jesus comes back and we enter into the resurrected eternal state. In fact, that fits really good with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 earlier where he says, you know, he, he thanks God that, that, that they come behind in no gift as they're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the perfect one, amen? So we had a great talk. But then there's the cessationist. Not the cessationist, the sensationalist. That's the, you know... The NAR movement, New Apostolic Reformation, those in the Charismania, where they come up to you right away, do you speak in tongues? It's not, how's your walk with Jesus? Are you bearing the fruit of the Lord? Do you speak in tongues? And then you say, well, actually, you may or may not, right? But you, you say, you know what? The Bible says, or you might say this, well, 1 Corinthians 12 says, do we all speak with tongues? Do we all prophesy? Are all apostles, right? It's, a, it's rhetorical, right? Asking for a no, not everybody's an apostle, and so forth. Oh no, but everybody has the gift of tongues. <clears throat> there's different gifts. One's a prayer language and one's this. No, where does it say there's one that's only a prayer language and another one that's, you know, prophetic or what have you? They make a false distinction. And it becomes where the focus ends up on the gifts and what we can get. Because a lot of these people are connected to the prosperity movement, the health and wealth gospel. What we can get from God on earth. <clears throat> we believe in, they're in the, what we would call the earthly, the worldly prosperity gospel. What we can get now. Live your best life now, you know, many of them. And uh, they're always wanting to make, emphasize power. Well, there's two extremes, like I said. You have 2 Corinthians 3, 5. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 1, where it says the last days terrible times will come. But verse 5 says, people, men will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, the dunamis. That's miraculous power. So you have that one group, the cessationists, who deny the power. Then you have what I call the Simon complex. 
Remember, Simon wanted the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, have you paid for it? Where they worship power. And how do I know when people put power before Jesus, before God? When they can make false prophecies and not repent of them and admit that they've committed false prophecies and say, I will never prophesy again. But many of these people, whether it's many people that have come out of the vineyard, uh, Mike Bickle, one of the leaders in the past of the vineyard, uh, he separated since with International House of Praise. Uh, he had prophets like Paul Cain, you know, Bob Jones. They were the main prophets of the vineyard movement at the time. Many of these prophets were prophesying the latter rain. We're going to take over the world for Christ. It's not biblical. These two particular prophets were the main prophets of the vineyard movement at the time. One was found to be a drunkard and a homosexual. Stepped down when that came out. The other one would have girls come in his office and then he'd ask them to take off all their clothes. So the, whole, the Holy Spirit's telling them to take off their clothes so he can inspect them spiritually. Okay? This is wicked stuff, guys. Okay? This is not a move of God. Okay? And then if you just look up Kenneth Copeland, and, and we just did a message on the prosperity movement uh, a couple weeks back. On, it was last the Wednesday before I left, I think. By the way, we got a text from a sister who blessed the fellowship, actually, and said, hey, I just want to let you know that this ministry, God used it to save me and my family. We were, they were into the prosperity movement. She says, we're in the prosperity movement, but we've seen the light, and we're just praising. They were just praising God. I'm paraphrasing what she said, but we look forward to growing in your ministry and growing in true doc, biblical doctrine, you know? That's, that's exciting when you see that, people loving truth. Amen? So you have these two extremes. How do you stay, stay on the straight and narrow? God's word. Amen, sister. You stay, you walk. They speak not according to his words because there's no light in them. Some of them will say, well, you might only get a prophecy right once in a while, but that doesn't mean you're not a prophet. No, man, they would, you'd be rocked to sleep in the Old Testament. Amen? You'd be stoned, but I don't mean on drugs. You'd just be, you'd be, it'd be even worse, you know? Uh, and the Bible never says in the New Testament there's a different qualification for true prophets. They can get, get them all messed up and still be a prophet of God. So that's because, in Jesus warned in the last days, many false prophets would rise. But you know what they emphasize so much is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not the fruit of the Spirit. Why do these prophets, because inwardly they're ravenous wolves, Jesus said. They don't have the fruit and love of the Spirit. They're walking as not just mere men, sometimes possessed, okay? But they're walking as, with, as ravenous wolves. True ministry does not focus only on the power of God, but focuses only on the power of God in the context of glorifying God. Amen. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Yeah. You know, a true spirit-filled fellowship will be glorifying Jesus. They won't be having every message on the power of God and the Holy Spirit. They'll be having most of their message all about Jesus. Yet, J. Vernon McGee had said before he passed, there needs to be, he wishes there was more of an emphasis on the Holy Spirit in his ministry. If you look through my ministry in the last year, or our ministry here at Blessed Hope, you'll probably see a couple messages on the Holy Spirit. But you'll see several messages, and every message ultimately is about who? Jesus. And even in my messages in the Holy Spirit, I remind us, the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. Amen? Because he came to glorify Jesus. So, as we get into this together today and we look at this passage, the fruit of the Spirit, instead of diving right in, I thought, you know what? You need to know who the Holy Spirit is. Amen. And some of you already know to one degree or another. Before we look at the fruit, you ought to know who is the one giving the fruit. and You ought to appreciate him and understand your relationship to him before you just focus on the fruit. That way you can make sure you're in right harmony and relationship with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And if someone were to introduce you or someone came to you and said, who is the Holy Spirit? Or what is the Holy Spirit? And they asked you a question like that. How would you introduce the Holy Spirit to them? If a Jehovah Witness came to your door... And he said that we don't, I don't believe the Holy Spirit is God. Would you be able to prove that he's God? Even more so, they say that the Holy Spirit is not even a person. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Would you be able to prove that? Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? Or do you hear teachings and you just assume something? Have you seen in the scripture? So this fellowship, and praise God, 
We're not a two-verse Charlie church, okay? A two-verse Charlie church is a pastor that uses one or two verses, tells some jokes, some stories, and hey, and nobody learns anything hardly. Just feel good. This is how you live your life. Just do this and do that. And then they go out, but they have no real anchor in who the Lord is and what his word says. And therefore, they get easily deceived. Okay? We dive in. So we're going to dive in together. Wait, wait. Sunday, that, isn't that a midweek time you dive in, not Sunday mornings? We dive in all the time. Okay? Because the Bible didn't say on, on the Lord's Day, just give a weak message that's palatable for the brand new person. I'm trying to speak slower, so I'm trying to be considerate if you're new. I don't know if I could pull it off, but please... Wave your hand if you feel I'm going too fast, okay? <laughs> That's a good one. I will slow down. <laughs> but, uh, but, but please, yeah, uh, you know, and you've got you've to try to keep a balance, you know? Between, and I, I know I go, if I'm out of balance sometimes, I speak way too fast. Uh, there's a brother right there I'm looking at right now, you, brother. He's like, I like that you go so fast. He goes, when I listen to you and chat, I just thought, oh, it's funny, we just had this talk. He goes, when I'm listening to you guys on, on Good Fight, you know, the programs, he goes, with Chad, I, I just have to read ahead because he puts the words up. So I just read ahead of him. When it's you, I just stay right with you because I think like you do. But not everybody does. So bear with me as I slow down a little bit, okay? Because I'm trying to be considerate. I'll still speed up. Those be those times. Okay, so let's look at the Holy Spirit. Who is he? Uh, there's a lot of symbolism used of the Holy Spirit, a lot of imagery that God uses. I love to use pictures. I love to use word pictures. I love illustrations. That's, God does that, right? I mean, that's why I wrote a children's book, to illustrate how we're broken mirrors that need to be restored. I love to teach my children. But God, I, you know where I got that from? God. I saw, wow, he loves to use images, and he does that with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus. It says, like a what? Like a dove. It doesn't say he was a dove. It says like a dove. Okay? And, and, you know, most interpreters believe that was gently. Doves fly very gently at times and just beautifully. Although also there's times where doves can be very territorial. And dove, mama, you know, doves could just be flapping their wings too. So some would think it could mean that he came in a territorial way. I, I, I take that in that context of Jesus' baptism that he came as in, in the typical way you see a dove come down, just beautifully, sweetly, elegantly. But uh, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Another picture of the Holy Spirit is ruach. That's the Hebrew word for spirit. The Greek word's pneuma, which we've just talked about. But isn't it fascinating that the term pneuma in the Greek sometimes means wind or breath, but yeah. typically means spirit. The word ruach in the, is a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. That also means spirit, wind, and breath. Remember, God breathed on them and gave them life. Hallelujah. And the wind is a powerful picture of the Holy Spirit because he's so powerful. You see a hurricane? Devastating hurricane? That's just a little picture because a hurricane is not the spirit. That's a picture of his power. But it's a small picture of his power because he's the spirit of God. But it's interesting, the word breath or, or uh, spirit is often used. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, remember the disciples were there tearing on the day of Pentecost, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to be endued with power from on high to come upon them. And it says the Holy Spirit came upon them like a mighty rushing, what? Wind, Wind. amen? That's powerful too, man. And I, these images give me a picture of how the Holy Spirit works. In fact, Jesus you know, used wind as a picture of those who are born of the Spirit. You never know where the wind's coming from or where it's going, and so are those who are born of the Spirit. Wind. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating to me because what's it about wind? Why is wind? Because it's powerful, but it's also what? Unseen. unseen. Amen, Jim. Jim. It's invisible. It has power. But Jesus is using that as an example of how God works. And he's working every day, working all kinds of ways in your lives, amen, that you don't even see. Wooing you, encouraging you, convicting you, warning you, loving you, encouraging you to love others. So I love the picture of, uh, you know, the dove. I love the picture of the wind. Another picture is oil, you know. They, when we anoint you with oil, you know, we put a little bit of oil on you, you know. 
Sometimes when you need prayer or what have you. Well, a lot of times when they anoint it with oil, man, they just pour it over your head. And that's how the Holy Spirit, because he's all-encompassing, and wants to be all-encompassing of our lives. And anointing oil in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Zechariah, when, he, when you see the seven-pronged you know, pronged lampstand, right? And, and connected to the olive trees, the oil's coming out, and, and, these, and it lights up, it gives light, right? And the Lord says, and he's talking about rebuilding uh, the temple there. It's a picture, by the way, the two witnesses there, Zerubbabel and Joshua, are a picture of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, right? Which is really a trip. One's a civil leader, you're right? One's a spiritual leader. Joshua was a, uh, uh, is a, a, a spiritual leader. Zerubbabel is a uh, political leader. And it's kind of interesting what the two witnesses might be doing. There might be a little picture there because that is quoted, that passage in Revelation 11 of the two witnesses. I'm not saying their two witnesses are Joshua and Zerubbabel. Okay, I'm starting to speak, speak, uh, speed up a little bit. You're right with me, though, bro. <laughs> but it's interesting when you think it through because he's talking about this mountain that's in the way and they can't rebuild the temple at that time. He says, but this picture, this oil that brings the light is a picture of the Holy Spirit because he says this, what it symbolizes, not by might, not by power, but by my what? Spirit, saith the Lord, I will move this mountain, right? So he's also depicted as oil. In fact, we see the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us uh, and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So he's anointed us by giving us his Spirit. Holy Spirit is also represented by fire, which makes sense because God is a consuming fire. And Jesus, uh, we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John, of John the Baptist, that is, answered and said to them, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, that's Jesus, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. Amen. So we have the fire of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. In Acts chapter 2, Verse 3, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, guess what other symbol is used? Verse 3 says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Uh, so they had this clove that looked like fire on each of their heads, which represented the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a trip, huh? And it was resting their heads, and they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with tongues. My wife was, uh, worked at a bank when we were married, early on when we were married, and uh, a gal there came from a very strong United Pentecostal background. Now, United Pentecostals are distinguished from Pentecostals. United Pentecostals believe, they don't believe in the Trinity, okay? Uh, they believe in a lot of stuff that's, you know, can't wear any makeup. Everyone has to have dressed down to her ankles. You have to speak in tongues if you're saved. And this gal was asking my wife, do you speak in tongues, you know? Do you speak in tongues? And telling her she's not saved if she doesn't speak in tongues. And then I let her know. I said, let her know. Sure, 1 Corinthians 12, do, are all apostles, you know, do all speak with tongues and so forth? And the verse that she came back with was right here. They all spoke with tongues. This was, by the way, a special day for the church. It was God signifying something new was happening. The new covenant had come. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, and I said, well, take her that verse and say, least say, was there a cloven fire on your head when you got saved? <laughs> Probably not, right? Okay. Did you, did you ever say that to her, babe? No. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, now it's interesting when we look at the Holy Spirit, we see all these different symbols, which are just so powerful. But he's more than a, the symbols aren't him. They're a picture of what he does. And the symbols, as powerful these symbols are, beautiful as they are, he's far more, right? Because he's God. But just to think, this is the one that lives in us. But he's far more than this. He is the almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? He actually helped in the creation and he's the one who lives in each and every one of us. Isn't that awesome? That's the one who lives in you guys. 
the one who created the universe, if you're a Christian, and you're trusting Jesus right now, you believe in him, he lives in you. You have the living God in you. So what mountain could be in your way that he wants you to overcome that you can't overcome by his strength? Amen? There's nothing too difficult for him, he says. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? Now it's interesting because I mentioned that he was involved in the very creation of the cosmos. In Genesis chapter 1, you see the fallen world. And it's not the fallen world, really, because the world was just created, but it's a picture of the fallen world. It's a picture of us in our fallen state, because God created it with no life. Just like this black canvas, it was just darkness was over the earth, it says, and the deep. It was over the deep. And it was tohu wabohu. Does anybody remember what tohu wabohu means? Formless and void. It was without form, the earth, and it was void. It was empty, right? And what happened? The Holy Spirit, it says, was hovering over the earth. The same word that's used of like a bird hovering, right? Like the dove. It was hovering, he was hovering over the earth. That was, that was Holy Spirit. There's God the Father. Where's the Son? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the same was the beginning with God. And he made all things. All things were made through him. Nothing came to being but by him. Meaning God the Father, but also the Word who became flesh, it says in verse 14, and dwelt among us, was with him. But also the Holy Spirit was hovering over the water. And then you hear, let there be light. Amen? <laughs> There's this tra transformation, man. And on the third day, what comes forth? Life. Picture the resurrection, you know? But this is a trip, you guys. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Well, he was there, but how do you know he was actually involved? He could have just been there wrong. Because look at Psalm, just, you don't have to go there, but I'm going to read it. Psalm 104, verse 30. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. The Holy Spirit's tied to the original creation, and, and uh, you send forth their spirit, your spirit, and they are created. Listen to Job 33, 4. The spirit of God has made me. What? The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're all involved in creation. Amen. Yet that's why we read in Genesis chapter 1 a little bit later, the Lord God says, let us make man in our image. Right. Our. There's a plurality, but there's one. The great Shema of Israel Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, Shema, that's called Shema because that's the Hebrew word that's translated here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Amen. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with the whole heart, soul, and strength. So he's one God, kabod, or I'm sorry, not kabod, that's the Hebrew word for heavy, okay? But there's a play in the word in Genesis of one and plurality, just like the two shall become what? One flesh, husband and wife become one flesh. Amen. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they share humanity, husband and wife. Amen. Well, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit share deity. They're the one God with three divine persons. How do we know this? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are called one. And guess what? They're, they're shown to be also distinct persons. They have a relationship with one another. Yet they're all called God over and over again. Yet we're told we have one God. And it's amazing because you have this perfect unity. And it's interesting, too, because you have these t Trinitarian, Trinitarian three in one, triune declarations made throughout Scripture, uniting the Father, showing how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all united. Listen to Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name. No, no sense say in the names but in the name singular of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One name unites all three persons. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, the Holy Spirit has to be God because God says, I created everything in Isaiah by what? By myself. So whoever created everything is God and he did it by himself. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all referred to as God. Listen to another Trinitarian declaration. This is a Trinitarian blessing. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, what? 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes God the Father's first in the list. The next one, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit's first in the list. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Listen to this. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, uh, we read about how there is one Spirit, one Lord, and one God the Father. Wow. So that's fascinating to me. The Holy Spirit is called God. He's referred to as God. In fact, go to Acts chapter 5. Go to Acts chapter 5. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? That was a couple who sold some land, and they told the apostles that they wanted to help the church. They wanted to bless the church. They wanted to help those in need. They're going to give all the money that they sold the land for to the church. And that seemed very generous, yet they lied about it. They sold the land, but they kept back money for themselves. Now, it was in their power to keep money for themselves if they wanted to. They could have done that. God didn't say they had to give everything they got for the land, but they lied about it to say, look what we've done. And we read in, yeah, in Acts chapter 5 with what was going on there when Peter addresses their deceit, especially that of Ananias first off. Uh, in verse 4, it says, while it remained, well, look at verse 3. Just cut right to it. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy, the Holy Spirit. And to keep back some of the price of the land, right? Isn't that interesting? Why have you, why do you fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? God. In lying to the Holy Spirit, they were lying to who? Ananias was lying to God. Then Sapphira goes and follows up and says the same thing, and she falls over dead just like he did. Then they drag them out. Can you imagine that happened here? You know. And then it says the fear of the Lord filled the church. I understand that. People would be like, we might think Ananias was a coincidence, but she dropped dead too. That teacher's like freaking out. And God, well, I think God was starting the church up, and he didn't want the church corrupted early on. He didn't want the church to get corrupted by just deceivers, and he was trying to keep his, fellow, his church pure. He still does that, but he uses church discipline. Don't worry, we don't kill people, but if you're in rebellion to God, we say, hey, you probably shouldn't be here unless you want to repent and get right with God. Uh, so it's interesting we also see uh, that God lives in us by his Holy Spirit. Amen. And he's called God and he's called the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6.16, it says that we're his temples. And it says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 says... Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Isn't that interesting? So even though God lives in us, He lives in us by His Spirit. Ephesians 2.22 says, You also are being built up together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that our bodies or your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who you have received from God? By the way, the Holy Spirit is clearly a person. You need to understand, another person lives in you, okay? In fact, we're called to test the spirits to see whether they're from God because demon spirits will imitate the Holy Spirit. Would we deny that demon spirits are persons? No. We, they're not humans, but they're fallen angels, amen? They're personages, okay? They're entities. Well, the Holy Spirit is a person. In the New Age movement today, they try to pick up spirit guides, they do it through meditating and visualizing and doing all kinds of sort of things like that. They pick up demonic spirit guides. And it's a big deal, man, if you can get a spirit guide. But those spirit guides turn on them. You look at those people that go into deep meditation, they end up having all kinds of demonic stuff going on. If they don't repent and come to Jesus, they'll end up fully possessed and taken over. But guess what, man? That's a counterfeit because God wants to live in you by His Spirit. Amen? 
and you have the Holy Spirit guide, amen? The Holy Spirit of God living in you. That's a big deal, have the creator of the universe living in you, amen? Now what's interesting, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't only deny that the Holy Spirit is God, and they deny the Trinity, they deny that Jesus is God, but they deny that the Holy Spirit is a person. They deny his, that he's a personage, that he's a person. In fact, the Jehovah's Witnesses in their Watchtower magazine, which is like their central organ of doctrine that Watchtowers learn from. By the way, do you know the Watchtower has said in the past? If you have just the Bible and not the Watchtower, in two years you'll be in darkness. But if you don't have the Bible and you have the Watchtower helps, after two years you'll still have the light. That's a cult. Somebody starts telling you you need their works to understand the Bible. Don't walk, but run to the nearest exit. <laughs> Amen. The Watchtower in November 1st of 1954 states, quote, the Holy Spirit must be recognized as the active force. It's just active force, like an emanation of electricity or something, right? Uh, in 1944, on August 15th, the Watchtower says, the spirit or helper is not a spirit person or a personage, but is the active force. You know, it's just the active force of Jehovah, you see. An active force. Thank God he's not some force, amen? He's God, he's the creator, he lives in us, but he's also a person in contradiction, in contradistinction to what the Watchtower teaches. In fact, in Romans 8.27, it reads that we have the mind of the Spirit. Does electricity have a mind? No. The Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit's not an active force, but a uh, divine person, in fact, it's interesting. I want you now to go to the Gospel of John. I want to share some of my favorite passages with you that hopefully you've seen and you're reading, you're studying through as you get in the Word about the Holy Spirit. They're very powerful statements that show that He's a person, but also show what he, how He wants to relate to us and His role in our lives, which is very important for you as a Christian to recognize you have the Helper that lives in you. Amen. So let's go to John 14, 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. This is Jesus' upper room discourse, which goes from John 14 to John 15 to John 16. And where Jesus is talking about he's going to leave them because he's going to be crucified, but he's not going to leave them orphans, that the Father and Son will make their homes in their hearts, and the Holy Spirit will come to abide in them forever. And in John 14, 26, we read, But the Helper... By the way, what's the Holy Spirit? But the Helper, the Holy Spirit... What's the Holy Spirit called there? The helper. Don't you wish you had a helper that knew everything, that made everything living in you? Well, you do if you're a Christian. In fact, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if we have not the Holy Spirit, we are none of his. That's King James, meaning we don't belong to him. So every born-again Christian, everybody who truly puts their trust in Jesus and turns from a road of destruction and darkness to Christ through faith and puts their trust in Jesus to forgive their sins through what he did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. When you put your faith in Christ, you're born again. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. He regenerates you, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And, but you have to make sure you're born again. But as soon as you're born again, the born-again experience is the Holy Spirit coming to live in you Amen. and giving you his life, the new life. Amen. So for, for chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Hmm. You notice the word he? Yeah. It's not talking about some impersonal, active force. He will teach you all things. In fact, the uh, Greek word there is ekonos. Uh, if you're taking notes, you transliterate that in English, the Greek word E-K-E-I-N-O-S. Yeah, ekenos. Uh, it's a ma and by the way, it's masculine gender in the Greek. It's masculine gender, so it's, it's to be translated, and it is translated in almost every translation, he, and it ought to be. He will teach you all things. He's a person. And bring you to, rem and bring you to you remembrance, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I love what Doug was saying about his brother 
when he was leading worship about uh, his brother having you know, two lung transplants coming to Christ before he was saved. And, uh, and he was saying he has the peace of God now. You know, He's known his brother all these years. For 30-some years, he's been praying for him. His brother gets born again, and now his brother all of a sudden has the peace of God. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit has come to live in his life. Amen. You know? So it's interesting. Jesus comes to give us peace. And the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things mentioned there, one of the aspects of the fruit is peace. Amen? And Jesus comes to give us peace. Now it's interesting. There are at least three different Greek words Jesus could have easily used if he meant something different than he. Okay? He could have used, uh, you know, the word akene, which is a feminine gender. Akena which is neuter gender, no, no gender, or akenos, which is masculine gender. Look at chapter 15, and that's what he uses over and over again. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, go to chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, that is a spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he, there's a masculine gender, akenos, will testify about me. Oh, by the way, Who's the Holy Spirit testify about? Jesus. Jesus. Amen. That's why I said if you're a Spirit-filled church, you're really filled with the Spirit as a church, you'll be all about Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's what I love about this fellowship. It's a Spirit-filled fellowship. It doesn't say you all be speaking in tongues at once. By the way, some churches, well, yeah, you do speak in tongues, make sure everybody's speaking in tongues, and then everybody's speaking in tongues now. I was at a church where literally the guest evangelist said, everybody stand up and speak in tongues at once. And everybody stands up, and I'm in that fellowship for a little while. I believe in the gift of tongues, but I'm bringing a visitor, a friend of mine named Gail. She's a new Christian, and she darts out of there. <laughs> well, it got worse. Now, and then he goes, okay, now everybody, and everybody's like speaking really loud. I'm like, oh, brother. Because I know what the Bible says. It says, if you all speak in tongues at once, will they not think you're mad? And I'm like, if an unlearned person or unbeliever comes in, won't they think you're mad? And then it says, speak one or two at the most. And it says, and then only if there's an interpreter. Otherwise, keep it between you and God. Sit down and keep it between you and God. She bolts out. I go, Gail. I open up the Bible. I go, look, man. First Corinthians 15, 14. I go, look. It says that you would think they're mad. I go, look, that's exactly. Isn't the Bible powerful? It says it's exactly what you would do if they did that. Because I, I didn't want her to leave the word of God, leave the scripture because of their misbehavior. I said, this is what God said not to do. Okay. And it broke my heart. And uh, I was at the fellowship for a while. I continued to pray. And, lovingly talked to the pastor about the abuse of the gifts there, and I had to leave eventually. Because he said, Joe, I feel we've reached a place in our church where we don't have to, because I shared with the scripture. I shared that scripture with him too. And he goes, I feel like we've reached a place where we don't have to go by that, Joe. A place of maturity. I was like, okay. That's, I, was, I was in my you know, mid-20s or so, and I was like, I, I got to leave, man. But you guys, we have to obey the scripture. And, but when you part, start putting experience before Scripture, you're putting, that's a form of idolatry, you know? And it's going on right now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so go to John chapter 16, verse 5. Wait, did, did we read 26 yet? Yeah, we did. Okay, and then verse uh, 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, says Jesus. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, okay, Akinos, there it is again, the masculine gender. He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He uses us. By the word, that word convict right there is the same word in Ephesians 5.11 where Christians, all of us, are, are warned uh, are admonished, encouraged to have no fellowship, 5.11, with the, fellowship, with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather what? Expose. expose them. Do you know that's the same Greek word, expose? That's the activity of the Holy Spirit. He uses believers to expose darkness. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he convict the world of sin. This is evil. This is wrong. Because God knows it destroys us. And of righteousness, this is God's standard. And of judgment, that God's going to judge it all. You better get right with God. Amen. So Ephesians 5.11, the believer, the Holy Spirit in the believer, exposing the world of darkness, have fellowship, no fellowship with the fruitless seeds of darkness, but rather convict them. That's the Greek word, same Greek word. Expose them. And then he says, it talks about the light of Christ. 
and wake from the dead, O oh sinner. You know, let the light of Christ shine on you. Come to life because that's how you bring them into life. You show them their spiritual disease, a rebellion against God. Amen. So let it Christ could shine on them. And then he goes on to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit right after that. That's why our ministry, Good Fight Ministries, why do you guys have a ministry like that? Somebody just asked me recently. I go, because it's, uh, you know, somebody asked that actually in the live show. That was my live show. If you listen to our live show last Thursday, Chad Redoff, we, we do question and answer. We do a, a topic, but then we do question and answer Thursday nights. Uh, last Thursday of each month, this was New Year's week, so we did it after New Year's this time. But why do you guys in your ministry expose these things? And I, oh, because I, we're commanded to. But not just we, we're all commanded to be exposing the works of darkness. Because we're ambassadors here, letting people know this world's going down for the count. And you need to get right with Jesus because judgment day is coming. It's appointed man wants to die, but after this is judgment. Hebrews 9.27. And we need to tell people to get right with God. Amen? That's what true love does. We don't need no mushy, weak, sissy form of Christianity. Where we just talk about, oh, the flowers are beautiful today. Hear no evil, see no evil. Just let people be involved in evil and go to hell. No, that's not the heart of God. We don't want to pat people on the back when they're going to hell. So Holy Spirit's ministry is to true Holy Spirit-filled church will speak against sin. We'll speak of God's righteousness. We'll speak of the judgment to come. Amen? And that's how true converts are made. Uh, chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he, there's the he, it's the same Greek word again and again, uh, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, I mean from the Father, he will speak. He speaks, by the way, he speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks, and he hears, amen? And he will disclose to you what is to come. He's the spirit of prophecy, Revelation chapter 19. He, again, same Greek word, akinos, akinos, will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Now I think it's just fascinating because, and since we're here, we also should meditate for a moment, at least another moment, on the fact that we have a relationship with God the Father. We pray to him, our Father who art in heaven, amen. We have a relationship with Jesus. We, we praise him. Typically, we pray to the Father, but I can show you in the New Testament prayers to Jesus where Stephen sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father and he prays for forgiveness to Jesus. I can show you uh, prayers uh, to Jesus at times, but typically we pray to the Father. Uh, we praise the Father and the Son. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Godhead, and we also have a relationship with him. And the Greek word translated is paraclete. When you see the word helper, it's translated helper at times in your New Testament. Counselor in different translations. Comforter. Isn't that a beautiful translation? Advocate. Because the word paraclete was used of the family attorney in Greek culture. That Greek word. Aren't you glad you have a, the greatest attorney living in you? Amen. But he's a, that word attorney, or, or, or paraclete I should say, is also friend or helper. So you can combine those two concepts. He's such a good friend. He's God in the flesh. and He loves you so much that he will also point out when you're doing wrong and convict you and give you a sense of, you're grieving me, you know? Yeah. Repent. I love you, you know? Because he's a good God. And I love Romans 8.26 because it says, he helps us in our weaknesses. So Holy Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. He will comfort us. Amen? Yeah. And it's just beautiful. Yet we're warned in the Scripture not to quench the Holy Spirit. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. You can quench the Holy Spirit you can throw water on the fire of the Spirit in your life, okay, so to speak. Uh, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 63, 9 and 10 talks about God, the Holy Spirit, and, and talks about the Lord throughout Isaiah 63 and how he bore them up, right? He took care of them through the wilderness, through the valley. And the picture is of a shepherd carrying an animal. I carried you all the days of old. And and. Protecting them from robbers, from, from cattle raiders, can, from those who would steal their, and, and I protect you. That same one who says I'm your protector says, I became your savior. He did. But you know what he goes on to say in chapter 63, verse 10? Yet they rebelled and grieved. Yet they rebelled. Well, I'll, I'll go up to verse 9. In all their distress, he too was distressed. 
and the angel of his presence saved them. In love and mercy, he redeemed them. Wow, what a beautiful picture. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Remember, he's not some wimpy God that you can just look at some, as some genie that you kind of conjure up to get your will done. We belong to him. He doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. We're the doulas. We're the servants. We've given up our, right, our rights when we come to Jesus. When we do our own will and we rebel and sin and we do our own thing, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building others up or edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you're in a relationship, with your, say you have a husband or a wife and, and you just let bad communication come out of your mouth and you cuss and you tear them down and cuss them out and everything, you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit wants to use us to edify and build people up in the faith. That's why it's so important that we grow in the attributes mentioned here in the fruit of the Spirit. Because as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, then we have long-suffering. Then we have patience, right? Kindness, one of the fruits that's mentioned. Amen? So it's important that we grow in this so we could make sure in our relationships with our husbands and wives that we're good, you know, that we're convicted. In your relationships with your friends, he doesn't want you cussing at them and tearing them down and, you know, course jesting the Bible warns about. He wants you building each other up. Amen? And loving on each other and caring for each other. Uh, and you can also insult the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 29 says, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and put him to open shame and considered as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? You can insult the Spirit of grace. In fact, you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Mark 3, 28 and 29, it says, Jesus says, All manner of sin shall be forgiven the sons of men, and blasphemies with whatsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that sins against the Holy Spirit or speaks against the Holy Spirit has neither forgiveness in this world or the world to come. And it goes on to say, why in verse 29? Because they said he has a demon. Now, when you cross-reference that with Matthew chapter 12, and he said, you know, warned against the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because the the uh, religious leaders didn't want to acknowledge that he was being used by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? He warned them about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then you know what he said? He that speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, against Jesus, will be forgiven. But he that sins against the Holy Spirit, blasphemes the Spirit, well, has neither forgiveness in this world or the world to come. Whew, that's powerful. Right. But this is another evidence, by the way, that he is God. Why? Or that he's a person. Can you blaspheme electricity? No. no. Can you grieve a non-person? No. Can you insult you know, your computer? No. no. Okay. And he's grieved. But you can blaspheme. By the way, if you can blaspheme Jesus, which you shouldn't, God forbid, you can be forgiven. Are you saying you, you can blaspheme Jesus and be forgiven, who's the divine Jesus, God, but this active force, don't dare blaspheme that. That makes no sense at all. Amen? So all these are warnings uh, and that we need to keep in mind that we're encouraged to, we're warned. The Holy Spirit speaks, guys. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit said, set apart, uh, this is verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. The Holy Spirit is talking to the apostles. Set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. And we have in chapter 16, verses 6 through 8 in the book of Acts, uh, Paul's forbidden uh, and, and, and so forth to go into, uh, go into Asia, you know. And then you also have in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through 23, it says, And I'll behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies or speaks to me in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions await me. In Hebrews chapter 3, the Holy Spirit speaks. We read in verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. 
Ooh. Hebrews 10, verse 15. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their heart and on their mind I will write them. Well, that's, that has to do with speaking. Well, right before it, it says in verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will make. Holy Spirit speaking. And Yahweh speaking. It's just the seven churches, man. Read the seven churches of Revelation to Laodicea and Sardis and, and, and Pergamum and Thyatira, you know, Philadelphia, Laodicea and so forth. At the end of each church, near the end of each church, a refrain says, let him that has an ear hear with the what? Spirit. Spirit. What? Says to the churches. Amen. Over and over and over again. And one of my favorite ones is Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. And the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit or the Spirit and the bride say what? They say something. We say something together. Come. That's the bride in sync with the Holy Spirit who is God in us telling people to come and drink of the water freely without cost. Amen? Amen. So we invite people. But you know the main way that, God, that Holy Spirit speaks? What's the main way the Holy Spirit speaks to us? Don't you? Man, I wish the Holy Spirit would speak to me every day, Joe. I want him to speak to me. Right here, man. He's been speaking to us all service long through his word. Amen? Amen? How do I know that? Because the Bible says all scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word is theonoustos. And theonoustos means theo, means God. It's a compound, compound word, theo, which means God, and noustos, which means breathe. The word of God is God breathed. And how does he breathe? Into us by his spirit, the breath, Holy Spirit. Uh, all scriptures inspired, God breathed, theonoustos, by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, man. You want to be adequate, you want to be strong, you want to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, get in the Word. Look at what, listen to what 2 Peter 19.21 says. It says, no prophecy ever made, that's verse, it says, no prophecy ever made was made, but by the act, or was made by the act of human will, but man moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Amen? Amen? That's awesome. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as I close today. If you were to introduce the Holy Spirit to someone, they said, I want to know who the Holy Spirit is. Or it was even a Jehovah's Witness and says, he's not God. He's not even a person. He's just some active force. Would they be right or wrong? wrong. Would you be able to prove that he's God? Yes. Where would you go? What? Passage in Acts says they lied, they, lied, they lied to God and lied to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, you know that. Go to John 14 through 16. He's a person throughout, right? We need to know who the Holy Spirit is. But one thing you need to make sure you know before we leave here today is that you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Because it says, as I mentioned earlier, in Romans chapter 8, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, it's because you do not belong to him. You see, man was separated from God through sin, amen? God breathed on them and gave them life. But then God separated himself from them because of the rebellion against him. In the garden, they were destitute spiritually. That's the first Adam, his sin, amen? But there's a second Adam that came. The Bible calls him the last Adam, the second Adam. What is his name? Jesus. He came to reverse the curse that fell on the first Adam and his progeny, his race. Guess what? When the second Adam came, what happened? He says the Holy Spirit is with you to his disciples before he dies for them, but he will be in you. Amen? And then he rose from the dead on the third day in what kind of tomb? A desert tomb or garden tomb? A garden tomb. Isn't that interesting? Back in the garden. In fact, Mary came up to him and she didn't recognize him and thought he was the gardener. Guess what? He was. <laughs> he wasn't the gardener tilling that. He wasn't the gardener managing that little garden, but he's the ultimate gardener. Amen. He's the one that planted Eden. Amen. And you guys, when he planted Eden, man, what happened? He breathed on them and said, he gave them life, amen? After Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, guess what? It says, he went to his disciples and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now you don't have to wait until the day of Pentecost because it's already passed. Or you don't have to wait until Jesus would come to you in the upper room before the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a baptism of power. You can receive the Lord Jesus Christ right now and be saved because guess what? If you don't know God, if, you're, if, you're, if you haven't turned to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're spiritually dead. You'll be separated from God forever and ever. 
But the good news of the gospel is that God so loved you, Jesus said in John, 3, John chapter 3, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, amen, the Holy Spirit will come to live in you. Amen. And you'll be regenerated. You'll be born again. You'll have new life. Because that's how you're born again. You're born of the Spirit. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And he said you must be born of water and of spirit. And that same gospel, John chapter 1 says, as many as received him, he gave the privilege or the right to become the children of God. Do you want to become a child of God today? Or would you rather just be separated from him in darkness and lost forever and ever and separated from everyone in agony? No, don't do that, man. Many go down that road to destruction. Jesus said, enter the narrow gate. For broad is the way it leads to destruction. Many are going that way. But narrow is the gate and, and, and uh, the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Turn to Jesus Christ right now and you'll have eternal life. Turn from your sin and say, I'm repenting. I'm turning from a life of darkness and embrace him as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says you'll pass from death to life and you will not come into condemnation. That is good news. Amen. Praise the Lord for the good news. Let's all please stand as we pass out the cup and the bread.